for scripture today. Uh, I'll be reading from Matthew 26, verses 36 through 46. So again, Matthew 26, verses 36 through 46. Then Jesus went with his disciples to a place called Gethsemane, and he said to them, Sit here while I go over there and pray. He took Peter and the two sons of Zebedee along with him, and he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. Going a little further, he fell with his face to the ground and prayed, My father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. Then he returned to his disciples and found them sleeping. Could you men not keep watch with me for one hour? He asked Peter. Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the body is weak. He went away a second time and prayed. My father, if it is not possible for this cup to be taken away unless I drink it, may your will be done. When he came back, he again found them sleeping because their eyes were heavy. So he left them and went away once more and prayed the third time, saying the same thing. Then he returned to the disciples and said to them, Are you still sleeping and resting? Look, the hour is near, and the Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us go. Here comes my betrayer. What was the most important decision of your life to this point? Does any one come to mind that sticks out more than others? Maybe there were a few. The power of decisions is something that we're given by God in creation. It's the power of being able to choose. It would have been so much easier for God if he just created people with the preconditioned, programmed set to say, this is what you're going to choose. That would have been easier. But in honoring his creation, he gave people the ability to choose. And the decisions we make do have an impact. Some decisions we make have lasted us for many, many years. Maybe for some of you, that was a decision to turn your life over to the Lord. Maybe for some of you, it was the decision to get married. But in any case, we are given a choice. Warren Wiersbe said of Jeremiah, he said, Jeremiah made the right decision and as a result became one of the most unpopular prophets in Jewish history. Measured by human standards, his ministry was a failure, but measured by the will of God, he was a great success. It isn't easy to stand alone, to resist the crowd, to be out of step with the philosophies and values of the times. Jeremiah lived like that for 40 years. 
tough decisions to be made, not popular, but faithful. Victor Frankl in his book, Man's Search for Meaning, and and this uh, was a book I remember reading in college um, that caused me to reflect deeper um, about life and the meaning of life. Uh, Victor describes the reactions of two different brothers in who grew up in the same environment uh, in the they ended up in the same concentration camp under the Nazis. One became a saint, and as he said, the other became a swine. Frankel tells us the reason why. He said, quote, Each man has within him the power to choose how he will react to any given situation. God has given us the power of choice. Some people today do not wish to accept the responsibility for their actions. They blame society. They blame the environment. They blame the schools. They blame the circumstances. And if you were an older Flip Wilson fan, you blame the devil. For The devil made me do it. Um, we can blame all kinds of things. We, we see this as being nothing but consistent from the time of Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. They ate of the fruit of the tree of knowledge and they paid the price for it and they introduced, unfortunately, sin into the world. And yet we see that Adam sinned in what was a perfect environment under perfect circumstances and then he blamed it on Eve. And then Eve blamed it on the serpent. And this is the start of the constant battle for responsible choices and taking responsibility in choices. Do we blame sinful or ungodly choices on someone else? Or do we accept the responsibility ourselves and take our part in that? One thing that Adam and Eve were not free to do was to delineate themselves uh, from what is good and what is evil. And as soon as they did and took that step, they put themselves in the place of God. And that is one of the things just to start this message is, is how do we grapple with the reality of an internal desire and influence of sin all around us that basically we just aren't comfortable unless we can be in that perspective and in the position of becoming God and making choices as, as God would or as we think God should. Today we look at Jesus facing the biggest choice of his life and ours actually. We'll look at this part of Jesus' journey to the cross and again from learn from his example in the darkest moments of his life and his mission. Now, just to stimulate some reflection, and if you're teaching Sunday school, you may want to write these down. Um, but I want you to just think now, and having said what we have, think about these questions. Why are we so willing to take someone else's word over God's will? 
Why are we so willing to take God's, to take someone else's word over God's will? Why do we tend to take the things we want and make them God's will? Why do we get so mad at God for not doing what he think, what we think his will should be? We get angry. We say, God, don't you know any better, God? This is, this is what your will should be, Lord. And we decide that. How can we tell the difference between our will and God's will? How can we know God's will and trust it? And I add that one because that trust factor was so huge in Jesus, what Jesus exemplified. Jesus allowed himself to be arrested and he commanded that the violence and the, 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 the fighting against what was coming, that that be stopped. The disciples were so afraid and shocked at what happened that they all ran away. The events at the Garden of Gethsemane offer some support and comfort and clarity for us today in what we go through when we face difficult times. And it's important. Now, I want to just say a few words about um, the Garden of Gethsemane. Why was that the place where Jesus told, chose for this to happen? The Garden of Gethsemane was located um, based right beside or a part of the Mount of Olives, which was a multi-summit limestone ridge just east of the old city of Jerusalem and separated from it by the Kidron Valley. First mentioned in the Bible as the ascent of the Mount, uh, of, the Mount of Olives was named in 2 Samuel 15. It's also referred to in the book of Zechariah in the prophecy of the end days, Zechariah 14. The traditional site of the Garden of Gethsemane where Jesus prayed before he was betrayed, uh, where this passage that Doug read was, was taking place, is on the western slopes. And finally, we also would note that after the resurrection, Jesus is reported to have ascended into heaven from the Mount of Olives. So it's had some significance. It was particularly important that the word Gethsemane actually is literally tra is, is translated oil press. Now, you can start to see the connection. It's the Mount of Olives. What do you do with olives? You can eat olives uh, and and yes, I am one of those that loves both the black and the green. Um, but you can also press the olives. And the name was given Garden of Gethsemane because there was located nearby an, a, a, an oil press where you extract olive oil, which was used for all kinds of things in cooking and healing and, 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 and many different uses for it. And so... Um, we see that there is some uh, connection too between the fact that it was out of the crushing of Jesus' life that the oil of salvation came into the world in a way that offered grace to all of us who come after that 
that moment, that time, that act that Jesus took. So the setting of Gethsemane was a powerful place for this major decision, the biggest decision of Jesus' life. And let's talk more about that. Jesus understood what he was going through. And just because you understand something doesn't make it easy. Just because we know what's going to happen or we anticipate what is going to happen doesn't make it easier for us. And it was not easy for Jesus. Why? Because he was human and he experienced the fullness of his humanity. It was also divine. And that divinity was significant in his ministry and in the, under the direction clearly of God the Father, which we'll look more at that relationship in just a second. What makes Jesus so different from us is that he knows what terrible things are going to happen because, and he knows what investment he is making in us. But he chooses to go ahead and make that investment even knowing how difficult it's going to be. So we see in this passage, in some ways, the most honest Jesus we've ever seen. The most real. If you thought Jesus, well, he's got divine powers only under the direction of God the Father and for God the Father's purpose for Jesus' life and his ministry. He didn't have the freedom to choose. He didn't pick up the freedom or try and grasp the freedom. He simply chose to be faithful to God again and again and again. But this was the greatest test. This was the biggest battle that allegiance to God would take place in. And just like Adam and Eve chose whether or not they would follow the will of God for their lives and believe it was good, so Jesus would have the choice of following God's will. Jesus goes with his disciples that night to this Garden of Gethsemane. He realizes what's coming. He knows there is not only going to be a physical challenge of going through crucifixion, torture, he knows all that's coming. But the Garden of Gethsemane was a place where the real pain for him was the emotional and, and, and inner struggle of whether or not he could do it and whether or not he could endure. Jesus knew the power of sin and the price that would have to be paid to stop its devastating consequences. Here's Judas off in the darkness conspiring because we noticed that there were only 11 that were with Jesus because Judas was off getting together and, and working out his plot to deny Jesus and to uh, actually go against him and have him arrested interesting that they go along in the garden and then Jesus has the disciples stop with the 11 but then invites the three Peter James and John 
and they come with him. He invites them to come with him a bit further. I'm not sure of the, the particular logic of that. It could be that they would keep watch for whenever the soldiers would come, um, but he w- they were still expected to be in prayer and to be keeping... Uh, he was looking for a spiritual watch, not just a physical watch. He, he knew that Judas and, and the soldiers would come. But he needed desperately in this dark hour of despair, he needed the spiritual support. So he goes into the garden with the 11 disciples, tells Peter, James, and John to follow him deeper into the garden. Nothing unusual because he had called those three on other special occasions. But then Jesus becomes sorrowful and troubled and he stops again and tells the three something he has never said before. My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. That keeping watch again was a spiritual keeping watch, a prayerful keeping watch, not a keeping watch simply for what was going to happen and he knew it was. So he left them. And then he prays a prayer that he realizes the gravity of what he is facing. Jesus knows that if he takes our place of the judgment, he also has to take upon himself the sin. He knows that so many people do not uh, what he knows something that many people do not. God cannot look upon our sin without looking away from us. If Jesus loves us enough to take the punishment of our sin, it means that he will have to be separated from the Father and endure the result of sin, even though he didn't deserve it and didn't need to take it. He made the choice to obey the will of the Father in taking on our sin. In those moments, did he think of you and you fill in your name? Did he think of you? Did he think of you? Did he think of me? Did he think about every person that would be exonerated, would be freed, would, be, would have their guilt taken away and their shame taken away and their sin taken away? Did he think of Adam and Eve and how their sin would be taken away? I don't know, but I know this, it was heavy, deeply heavy for him. And he did not have to do it. But he went because he wanted to make it possible for us to be reunited with God once again. And then he he, he goes back and he, uh, he checks on the disciples and they were sleeping. And to think of the crushing disappointment of someone you're counting on, someone you need, someone to, to be in prayer, and they couldn't stay awake. And then he comes back. 
and he prays, Father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken away from me, yet, yet, not my will be done, but as you will, not as I will, but as you will. He clearly defers to the will of the Father. And I've heard people criticize that. You know, if you end your prayers with according to God's will, that shows a lack of faith. I don't believe that. I believe that it was a significant act, and we'll look at that in a bit here, but Jesus was demonstrating to us something that is at the beginning of where life starts again. You know, many times when we go through difficult things, we think, um, we think about, well, what, what could we possibly do over? You know, to think about if I could just go back and start this over. Maybe I would appreciate it more. Maybe I'd do something different. Maybe there'd be something better. Um, Maybe I could have a different outcome. Do you ever second guess? I would guess every one of us does. Maybe I should have responded this way. Maybe that would have made a difference. Maybe I, 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 I could have done this more or this less. And we go back and we second guess. And we wish that we can and we, we never really can do it over. Because we, we, want to, we want it to be different. And in what Jesus was doing was saying, look, it's not my will. But when I turn over to the will of God, then God is able to do something. I place myself as clay in the hands of the potter. I place myself in a position to have renewal and reshaping done. And that may not be easy, but it is hopeful and it is positive. And when he prays this, um, he is submitting to the Father. You'll notice that he goes back to check again. And they were having difficulty again, keeping watch, staying awake difficulty keeping in prayer and he goes back a third time then to pray and he prays the same prayer over again he doesn't even bother to wake them up this time he just leaves them sleeping goes back to pray last time but again something is happening on the inside of him we we don't get the image of him collapsing to the ground we don't see him feeling as though he was now as desperate for the support of his disciples. But he does not come back the third time to the disciples feeling sorrowful and overwhelmed. At the end of this account that was read, his prayer to the Father was changing him. Luke's gospel said an angel appeared and strengthened him. In other words, when he made the decision, I will serve the will of the Father above mine things became clearer, less confused. He was less in despair. He was ministered to by God because he knew it was the right thing to do to be obedient to God's will for him in this mission of going to the cross. And I would say that in a very practical way for us. 
When we make a decision, there can be freedom in that decision. When we choose God's will and we choose to act on that, there is something freeing. It does make it clear to us. And so Jesus was going through this very, very difficult time. And we want to learn from his darkest hour and how he responded. So I want to point out five things that that Jesus did in responding to this situation. First of all, he sought the Father. He sought the Father. He had done that many times before. He would go on these little excursions or retreats He would distance himself from the crowds to go and to pray and to constantly be in touch with God. When we don't spend time in prayer, when we don't spend time in the word of God, when we don't spend time praying and listening for the voice of the Holy Spirit, speaking to our conscience, speaking to our hearts, speaking to our minds, when we don't invest any time in that at all, and then we wonder, why do we feel so distant from God. It's pretty clear that when we don't spend time doing that, we feel further away and we are in more distress. And so that was an important pattern for Jesus all through his ministry. He was building a relationship with the Father. He was building trust with the one who would guide, provide wisdom, strength, power, and encouragement. And he was seeking the Father. Secondly, he asked for support from the body. We talk about the body as the people of God together. We sometimes call that the church. We sometimes call it a community of faith, a family of faith. But that was the role of the disciples in his darkest hour was He turned to them for prayer support. He went back twice to check on his support group, his best friends. Now we are called in scripture over and over again to carry one another's burdens. We spent time this morning going over prayer concerns and that was only a few. If we were to take time to have everyone come up to the mic and share the concerns of your heart, We would be here till six this evening at least. And maybe we should do that from time to time. I'm not sure we would all be willing to, but we need the prayers and the support and the encouragement. The power of the Holy Spirit works through his people together. And that only happens when we're open and seek each other out. And Jesus was seeking that support. He had invested three years of of spiritual intimacy with these disciples. And he knew he at least had the 11 that were willing to come with him to the garden that night. Even in their own uncertainty of knowing what would happen. When scripture says, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Jesus was openly acknowledging, I need the support in order to be able to choose according to what I know is right in the spirit and not to make his choice based upon the flesh. Third, he acknowledged his human struggle and his, 
and his need. And this brings up the consistent question of how willing we are to submit. Started out by talking about the fact that we want to take the place of God. We want to tell God what we think his will should be so that it makes it easier for us. In the act of submission to the will of God the Father, to the direction of God the Father, to, to the, the guidance and empowerment of God the Father, the need for that, Jesus was acknowledging, I don't want my life to be anything but under the direction and faithfulness to, to God the Father. And because of that, we have these reflections from the different disciples. I want you to look at uh, James chapter 4. And these are not in sequence, but um, putting together a few of the verses from uh, chapter 4 of James. He starts out the chapter by saying, What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your deepest desires that battle within you? Don't you know, he says a bit later, that friendship with the world means enmity with God. Therefore, anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. Or do you think, in verse 5 it says, without reason that he jealously longs for the spirit he has caused to dwell in us? But then verse 6 but he gives us more grace. That is why scripture says, God opposes the proud, but shows favor to the humble. But don't stop there. Go on to verse seven. Submit yourselves then to God. That's where Jesus was in the garden. That's what Jesus demonstrated to us, to submit ourselves then to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Come near to God and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. He doesn't mince words here. He's pretty direct. Grieve, mourn, and wail. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will lift you up. There are going to be times in our lives where we don't know what's ahead and it may not look good. We're going to want God to change our circumstances or to come up with another plan. Like Jesus, we're going to run into what felt like a brick wall and Jesus wanted to make sure that he was able to break through that wall according to God's will. There are times where no words are going to come in response to prayers. Can we pray like Jesus did and insert at the end of our prayers, yet not my will, but your will be done. This is not a prayer of unbelief, but a prayer that God might be doing something greater than we can understand at the moment. Fourth, and this leads right into it. Jesus committed to God's will. He chose to trust in God the Father. Jesus is troubled over what should trouble us. And that's the judgment of God for for sin, our sin. He prays, my Father, 
If it is possible, may this cup be taken away from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. Notice the closeness of that communication and that relationship. It was very personal, very loving, very much like relationships perhaps many of us have had with our father or mother. Um, that, that close bond of, of being acquainted with. And, and Jesus was simply acknowledging not only that relationship, but making a choice to submit to God's will. So even when Jesus felt the loneliness, despair, the sense of being forsaken, he trusted that the Father would provide him with the hidden strength to endure anything that was coming. We, we see this reflected in the Lord's Prayer. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And he prays for his disciples in John 17. My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message that all of them may be one. Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us so that the world may believe you have sent me. I have given them glory, the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one. Now, if we are one as they are one, that means we are in God's will and we're seeking God's will together. C.S. Lewis said there are two kinds of people. Those who say to God, thy will be done. And those to whom God says, all right then, have it your way. Pray, we should be in prayer every day that God doesn't say to us, okay, let's, you want to do it your way? Go ahead. And when you're done hitting dead ends and failures, come back to me and I'll show you my will. I, I like that. The, the final thing that Jesus did was he chose to act according to his call. Jesus gave his life with an expectation that we would swap our lifestyle for his. We are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, it says in Hebrews 13, verses 1 to 3. So let us throw off everything, it says, that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. What that's saying is that in Jesus' toughest moment in his biggest challenge, in his deepest despair of even having his own friends run away and, and abandon him or not even stay awake to pray for him, even in that, he chose to do the will of God the Father because he could see the joy and the peace and the forgiveness it would bring to every single one of us here today. That is the power of what Jesus did for us. 
we know that God's will is not always easy to consider. Chuck Swindoll, in his book, The Mystery of God's Will, I would just refer you to that as, a, as a, a, an excellent example that leads us. He says that God leads us through his written word. He leads us through the inner prompting of the Holy Spirit. He leads us through the counsel of the wise, qualified, trustworthy people, our brothers and sisters in the faith. And that, again, follows the pattern of Jesus relying on his friends and disciples in the garden. And he leads us into his will by giving us an inner assurance of peace. In other words, you can tell every tree by its fruit. If something I'm doing is creating greater turmoil, conflict, and struggle, it's probably not God's will. If it's producing more pain and more sin, it's probably not God's will. But we, we listen to that inner sense of peace based upon what it brings. So, um, you'll notice in James, also in chapter 4, a little bit later, it says, Now listen. You who say today or tomorrow we'll go to this city or that city, spend a year there, carry on business, make money, why, do you, why, why you do not even know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. And I, we've been looking through some old picture albums. And Cheryl and I have been shedding tears at how fast it went. And the great joy of those younger years of our children's lives. We look at those pictures and we reflect on that. It seems like it just vanished. It went by so fast. But instead, it says in James verse 15, you ought to say, if it is the Lord's will, we will live and do this or that. In other words, submitting everything to his will. So Jesus taught us to, to seek the Father. He asked for support from the uh, he asked for support from the body. He acknowledged his human struggle and need and submitted himself. He committed himself to the God's will. He chose to act upon that commitment. He chose to act in that way. Um, I am struck by a story. This uh, guy named Jimmy is a professional fisher and he makes a living fishing on the bass. Uh, in other words, Bass Angler Sportsman Society Circuit. It's televised. He also is a d devout Christian who belongs to uh, uh, different other fishing clubs. Um, in, the, in the particular year, Bass, the organization, made a ruling that to be eligible to be the fisherman of the year, you had to wear a patch and a decal of a prominent sponsor. You guessed it, Bush Beer. He refused to do it. Jimmy Houston refused to do it, thereby forfeiting his chance at $100,000. A fellow Christian fisherman on the circuit asked him, Jimmy, have you prayed about that? Jimmy replied, I don't have to pray about that. There is no decision for me to make. God has already made the decision in his word when he said not to do anything that would damage our testimony as Christians. He went on to say that God's word clearly tells us what God's will should be. God's word clearly tells us what God's will should be in this matter. 
And so um, that ability to stand is not easy. Jesus stood for us. He was crucified for us. And before I tell one final story, we'll have them uh, have the screen go down. Uh, I just want to ask, are we willing to take the stand that Jesus took there in the garden to listen to the will of the Father and not the flesh? There was a young Christian girl who was attending a secular college. She was sitting uh, in a cl- through a class by one of her professors who was an atheist. And after his lecture on why there is no God, he opened the floor and asked if there were any who would like to debate him on the issue. No one stood up. No one wanted to go against this professor who would be grading their assignments. This professor would decide if they passed or failed. He said, oh... So no one wishes to stand. Are there no Christians here? And in the back of the class, this young Christian girl stood up and timidly began singing. Stand up. Stand up for Jesus, ye soldiers of the cross. Then slowly but surely more of the class stood and sang with her, stand up, stand up for Jesus. My question to each of you today, will you make the choice today for the first or the 100th time or more to stand up for the one who stood up for us? Will you choose to receive the saving work of Christ? Will you be willing to stand or raise a hand. Is there anyone here today? Will you have the courage that that brave girl did as she drowned out the doubt and doom of the world with a simple act and everything that professor said will be forgotten and what they will remember is that she stood up and stood against that kind of doubt and that kind of doom. Will we be willing to act and proclaim our faith today. Is there anyone here that would be willing to stand?